I'll set one up. So what's up, Rex? Nice to have you, man. Man, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today. You know, guys, welcome to the journey to win. Um, if you guys don't know Rex Crane, you should. This guy, I met him in Las Vegas, man. And ever since I met him, I've just been so inspired to listen to his content. We we're just talking about it. Like I listen to his content very frequently, at least a couple of times a week. Um, super inspirational. You're one of the most inspirational people that I've ever met. I just want you to know that. I appreciate that. I enjoyed meeting. We met under great circumstances and, you know, was somebody, but we both really respected. who's done some great things in the world. He said, there's one person you got to connect with and meet and it's Brandon Thornhill. He goes, he's a leader of leaders and he makes people better. And, uh, that gentleman, I really respect his opinion. And man, was I, he was absolutely right. We met on a rooftop and we had a conversation and that whole trip was worth it just meeting you. So this is an honor to be here. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. It was definitely worth it. You know, when, when I first met you, Rex, I remember we obviously we were talking about how I was in Las Vegas and then, you know, we, we went and had coffee the next morning and, you know, then we went to California um, and, and hung out, had dinner with our family together. And then you and I had coffee the next morning and I couldn't think like every time I've had a conversation, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I wish like I'm getting so poured into right now. I wish I could record this. I wish <laughs> like I had a video camera right here so that not just I could, you know, not just me, like, I don't want to be the only one benefiting from this. I want to be able to help the world. So I'm really excited that finally that conversation can happen today, right now. So yeah. you guys are in the right place. Oh, man. Let's and they're in the right place at the right time. And, and I'm very confident that they're going to have the, you know, we got the right message for them. You got the right message for them. Well, it's an honor. And you could give me a little bit of grace. My, my throat is a little bit weak, but so I'm gonna, I'll give you my best that I got today. That's for sure. Awesome, man. Well, you know, I want to start off this podcast is called the journey to win. Right. And, and, you know, we were just talking about what that means to me is that, you know, it's not just one pillar. You know, there's so many people on Facebook, on social media, you know, winning big in business. Uh, but their but their marriage is in shambles. Their spiritual life is in shambles. And, you know, they get to control the narrative. So they don't we never really know truly what's going on in these individuals lives. And so, you know, you're one of those individuals that when I met you, I knew right away, like you are winning in every area of your life. And so, I'm, you know, I just want to hear what is winning to Rex Crane? What does that mean to you? Um, to me, winning is um, living out, I believe, purpose. And uh, I, I mean that with all my heart. I mean, without purpose, life, I think it's just an experiment. I think that's such a great quote. And I think it's true, right? People that have purpose kind of wonder and wander through life and never kind of concentrate on anything. But for me, it's living purposeful and also showing up excellent. Because I think the quality of any relationship I have is the way that I show up in it. And so to me, to really win, I don't look at it in terms of dollars and cents. I look at it in terms of who am I becoming? How am I showing up for the people that I love the most and care about and want to serve the most? And am I living by purpose or am I living by my feelings, what's going on around the world. And as you can tell, and we've watched so crazy, huh? Uh, so many powerful people in the world right now are living with a sense of powerlessness. Um, you know, they used to be slim. Now they need a gym. <laughs> you know, people used to have great relationships. Now they're very strained. And a sense of powerlessness has really began to seep into so many wonderful people that were doing something with life. Now life's doing something with them. And that, you know, sense of powerlessness makes people start accepting things. They accept allergies that they could change if they wanted to. They could accept, start accepting their physical condition. They accept their financial condition 
or they look at other people to determine who they're going to become, the economy they're going to create for their own self. There may be their own healthcare plan rather than depending on some of the different fake people we've watched on TV tell us what to do with our health and our life. I think there's no more encouraging fact that I don't have to lease my life out, but I can lead it and be very, very purposeful. And seeing that there is so much powerlessness, I started doing a little research on this brand. And what I found was people who feel powerless to change their past, they feel guilty and condemned. And when you see that happen, all of a sudden, it's a spiral. It steals their confidence, their joy, energy, strength. You could see it in their posture. You could see it in their voice. You could see it everywhere. And then if people feel powerless to do something about their future, they're worried, they're scared, they're nervous. But when people start to feel like they can do nothing about their present, they get angry. And then all of a sudden, or depressed, and all you start watching, all those negative states of emotion, they cause someone just to start accepting and tolerating a weak life. And for me, I felt like, you know what? If I'm really going to win, I can't allow all these other things to go on. I have to be purposeful on the inside. And I got to not only that, how am I going to show up for the people that I care about? Am I going to show up? You know, what's it like to be in a relationship with you? What's it like to be in a relationship with you? What do people get when you show up? Is it a relationship that things, experience that people want to have again? Do they want to invest in it? Do they want to be around you? How is their life better, easier, happier, healthier just by being in your presence? Or is it kind of blah? Is it, you know, dull? <laughs> or is it even maybe worse? Is it depressing because you just dump your stuff all over somebody else and throw up on them about what you don't like about life and how hurtful life is? And I believe in these times we can either be pitiful or powerful. And you can't be both. You get a chance to choose pity which makes a monument and an idol of your pain or what you don't like, or you can be powerful and a powerful place is I'm going to reclaim that I can win. Even if I've been on a losing streak, I can win back and I can get on a new streak that wins. And how does that happen? Not from the outside, but comes from the inside. Man, there's so much to unpack there. Like I could ask like 20 questions on that one thing. <laughs> I hope so, I didn't go too far on that. <laughs> no, it was amazing. So let Okay, so I heard a st I heard a quote one day from Ed Milet said, you know, we're born to win, but we're programmed to lose, and it kind of goes into what you just said. So, do you one do you believe that's true too? How do you how do people get out of the programming like like with all the you know negativity spread six times faster than positivity? Like, what is Rex Crane's you know way to be able to show people not to live in their current results or their past, but to get them into the future? Yeah, I think number one, fall out of love with your feelings, fall out of relationship with your feelings because your, your your feelings lie to you. The word emotion is the word ex mover. It means in Latin to move you away from the driver's seat. And I think so many times we're allowing our feelings based on things we're focusing on, current events, past events, potential negative outcomes to determine what we become. I think you have a responsibility. There'd be no greater robbery in this world than to deprive the world of what you're capable of becoming achieving and contributing. And most people I found, they don't have a vision to do any of that. Their vision is how do I get through? I need money. Their vision isn't what I'm going to become, what I'm going to create, what I'm going to give or contribute. So as a result, they live susceptible to their feelings and their emotions. They're slaves of their whims. A mentor of mine said this to me years ago, going through a really period of life that was very difficult, going through a divorce. Somebody left that I loved and cared about and they didn't come back. They went to get help, but they didn't come back. I was at a loss, not because I chose to lose, but because I was a victim of something. And in that place, I felt very victimized. And I began to talk so much about 
what I was going through, the hurt, the pain. And at some point, he said, you can either be pitiful or you can be powerful. And if you're going to be powerful, you have to recognize, Rex, you're not what you feel. You're what you decide. You're what you choose. Mm. And I thought that for a minute, like, oh, my goodness, you're right. I could feel happy. I could feel angry. I could feel depressed. I could feel excited. I could feel all these different emotions in a probably two minutes. And yet they fluctuate depending on what's going on. I had to come back to the place that where God gave me a spirit of power. I can choose life. I can choose death. I get to decide who I become, what I achieve, what I contribute, and ways that I can add value to people. So I became very purposeful in that because I felt like it was giving back a set of keys that I could drive a car and not let my life be driven by all these negative things. Because when you feel like you're in a setback, man, you want to nurse it, you want to curse it and rehearse it. And I did it. You know what I mean? When you feel powerless or life's hit you, you want to nurse it because you get pity. You get people want to just, oh, my gosh, I feel so sorry for you. That's okay for a day or two, maybe for a month if you've gone through something heavy or two months. But at some point, to sit there and nurse it, that starts to become a part of your identity. And to break out of that shift where something changes is I can't let issues or conditions or things that I've gone through become my sense of this is who I am. At some point, I got to recognize I'm more than what I've gone through. I'm more than what's coming at me. I'm more than the temptations. I'm more than the conditions. I'm more than my bad decisions. And for me, that has to start with, that's a spiritual comeback. I got to go back to my manufacturer. I got to go back to God. And not only because if I do it my own way, and the Frank Sinatra, I did it my own way, then I'm left to my own ability to pull it off. And for me, I'm a God guy. I'm a faith guy. And not a religious guy. I'm a God guy meaning he loved me, he gave me birth and life, and he knows my future, and it's a good plan. So going back to him and getting his perspective on it, his perspective frees me from the prison of my pain, and it lets me to have a passport to my future. Mm, that's so good. Wow. So so you weren't always a God guy. So no. Let, no let's, <laughs> so let's go backwards here. Let's talk about because, man, you were a major league baseball player. You played for the Boston Red Sox. Like, you made it to the pinnacle, like, every, every you know, little kid's dream, I feel yeah. like. With, like, I want to be a major league baseball player or some sort right. of professional player growing up. And uh, and you got to experience that. So, so walk us through that journey of what it took you to get from, you know, childhood to major league baseball. And then sure. maybe some of the challenges you had to grow through. Um, and then and then walk us through how you met God. Yeah, you know, um, growing up, I had just incredible desire uh, to play baseball, and I loved it. I fell in love with it. And I was the kid that slept with my glove. I was the kid that, you know, I would sleep in the grass if I could. I, I, I loved it and gave myself to it and worked really hard at it. And when I found that I could do it really, really good and I had some ability to work with, I, I realized, you know, early on, and this might translate for all of our viewers and listeners, um, I couldn't want a hundredfold return and be a 30% person. I realized that at a young age that I needed to kind of really invest in this and invest in that. I invested the time, the coaches, the talent, and I really built that. And so at 18, Joe Stevenson, a Hall of Fame catcher for the Red Sox, he was the agent that signed me. And he said, you have a rocket for an arm. <laughs> he goes, you have an okay bat, but you have a rocket for an arm. You got, you got good, you know, certain things that I, other things I did well. He said, it'd be an honor for us to sign you to the Boston Red Sox. And so I signed at 18 years of age. And I thought as a kid, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go. It's going to be great. It's going to be 
going to professional baseball. And what I realized was when I got there, this wasn't like Little League High School or these really special like Connie Max or Babe Ruth leagues. This was a business. And as an 18-year-old, I did not understand it wasn't just about playing baseball anymore. I walked into a man's world. And though I had man skills, I had a boy mentality. I had a boy mindset. You probably can relate a little bit as a Navy SEAL going in one way, and then you step into a whole nother place. And all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, there's a massive growth gap here. And I'm with grown freaking men, guys. I was collecting their baseball cards two years ago, and I'm in the locker room with them, and they're paying me to say, not the same amount of money, but they're paying me to play. There's Jose Canseco, there's Roger Clemens, or some of these greats. Cal Ripken was still playing. Frank Thomas, some of these great players, you know, in baseball, Jim Abbott and one arm guy, pitcher, just amazing people. And so for me, there was a quickly an awareness that I needed to be able to not just grow in my skill and my ability. I needed to grow in my mentality. I needed to grow how I handled myself, which caused me to realize that where I was and where I wanted to go was much bigger than where I was. And mm -hmm. I had to be honest with that. And it wasn't something that deterred me. It was something that challenged me. I needed to grow in my character. I needed to grow up a little bit. I need to let go of some of the childish things. If I was going to not just play professional baseball, but live as a pro. I think there's a guy, I think his name's Eric Worre. He might even be a friend of yours. I, I've never met the gentleman, but he he wrote a book said Go Pro. I think it was Go Pro or Going Pro or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Go Pro, yeah. Years back. And I remember there was a moment for me, this is way before I think he probably wrote it, but I don't ever read the book, but he said that I remember thinking, I got to go pro. I got to go there in my mind. I got to go there in my dedication, my commitment. What got me here is not going to keep me here. Mm. I needed to go pro. So that really challenged me at that phase. And it was my second year. I was on my way to spring training and I had a 76 year old woman on an airplane and I was sitting there listening to some Guns N' Roses. I think I was uh, chewing tobacco. And she knocked, she hit me on the shoulder. She said, can I talk to you? And I was trying to be a really nice, you know, guy to her. And she goes, listen, she goes, I don't know who you are, but I think you're going to really help millions of people across the world. Then you're going to help bring freedom to them. And I said, I think you got the wrong guy. I go, <laughs> uh, I said, you're a really nice person, but I think you got the wrong guy. She goes, no, I got the right guy. And for five hours on the way to Fort Myers, Florida, she began to tell me about things in my future that... I walked off that plane brand. And I was like, what the, what just happened to me? <laughs> I don't know what just happened. This grandmother told me that I'm going to do all these special things, but something happened on the inside of me. And she left me with this idea that, you know, it wasn't your good ideas that were going to count, but God's idea for your life. that's going to matter the most. And that's mm -hmm. where you're going to find the most joy, the most fulfillment, because that's what you're called to do. You might be doing something for a career, and she would write me letters at that time. We didn't have phones yet. So she would write me letters every week. And she would say, don't quit. People are waiting for you. Don't quit. Hurting people are waiting for you. Don't quit. People are waiting for you. And I get those letters. I'd become emotional. And I remember thinking it was a trigger. God put somebody in my path that saw something in my future and didn't relate to me just where I was or want to jump on a bandwagon of success, but someone that could see down the road oh my goodness, you could really make a massive difference and I don't need anything from you. I just want to invest in you. That opened me up to a relationship with God. Wow. So did you have a a previous at all type of relationship at all with God or was it just kind of like- I think it was a religious was one. <laughs> I think it was a religious one. 
I think, you know, you go to, I went to church, had wonderful parents. They were into God, but I never had an experience with God. And it's tough. Like people could tell me about you, Brandon, all the time, but until I experienced you, I didn't have that connection, that synergy where, oh my gosh, you're caring, you're trustworthy, you're integrous, you're powerful. You make a difference for people. I got to know that by experiencing you. And so I remember on March 7th of 1996 at 8.44 p.m., I said this prayer, this was for me. I said, Jesus, if you're real, I really want to experience you and know you. If this is not real, then I don't want it. If you're real. And I remember that night something happened for me. Something got anchored in my heart. This was real. And I felt different on the inside. I felt guilt lift off me. I felt shame lift off me. And I felt like I was different. Nothing had changed on the outside, but something changed on the inside. And for once, I knew I wasn't just God's creation. I knew I was God's kid. I think that's something I wish every person would know, that God didn't make people uh, to just do great things. God only made people to love them. God is love. Love's not love. God is love. No matter what Starbucks says, no matter what other community says, love's love. I call the BS card on all that. God is love. And when you connect with God, love comes into your life. Because you can't get love without being around him. And when his love comes in, fears start to dissipate, insecurities, you know, weaknesses change. And all of a sudden, you have a new reference point for who you are, how valuable you are. And once I started to see that value, now I wanted to add value. Okay, so so if someone right now is listening to this and they're like, okay, that's great. Yeah. But how do I have, you know, I've asked God over and over and over to have a connection mm-hmm. with him to, to be able to feel his presence, but I just haven't. Yeah. And I know, you know, I teach my team and I teach people in general that the mind is like a perishing and works if it's open. I think some people are going into that conversation uh-huh. most likely with no real expectations of anything happening. They're kind of, you know what I mean? So like, I'm wondering from your standpoint, how do they have that breakthrough of actually experiencing what you experienced? Yeah, I think that's a great point. For me, um, you know, you're as close. I, I believe that a person's close to God as they want to be. And if God seems far away, we're not the ones that moved. <laughs> I could say it in a cliche-ish way. So I look at that as I'm probably as close to my wife as I want to be. And the reality is I can always come closer. So I came close, not on a one-top shop. You got to show up in five minutes. I really was committed to I want to experience you. I want to know you. And actually, Jesus actually said that eternal life is not just going to heaven one day. Eternal life is knowing God. And when you know God, man, he's so attractive. Church people do a really bad job misrepresenting him. He's so incredibly kind and nice. And the mercy, the forgiveness, but the inspiration. I get that when I read the scriptures. I get that when I spend time and I talk with him. And I can feel that love inspire me. I see people in a new light. I want to love people, care for people. I want more for people than from people. All of that, can I can genuinely tell you, that comes out of the holy ground of life, my relationship with God, where there's not just information, spiritual information, but something drops from your head into your heart. Does that happen overnight? Usually not. But it can, but usually it's from your head to your heart where it becomes a revelation that, man, God's with me. He's for me. He's not judging me because he already judged his son so that I could have freedom. I could have favor and I could live a really fun, productive, fruitful life in the midst of challenges. (laughs) I love that. It doesn't make things easy. It just makes things possible. 
Well, I'll tell you, you know, if, if anything, I think probably for you during that time, because I've been in, you know, a similar environment, I guess you can say of top high achievers, those types of personalities with the SEAL teams. And, yeah. you know, when you say that you're going to go believe in Jesus, you know, some people do, right? Like some, I'm sure there's other believers. I talked right. to a, I talked to a, um, a lineman who awesome guy, you know, and we were at, we were out in park city not too long ago. And he said, you had your different subgroups. You had your, your Christians over here. You had your middle of the road people. And then you had like, yeah, the, they, what he called, not my words, but he said the thugs, like they were still actually living that lifestyle, even though they're professional <laughs> football players. <laughs> and, um, and so I guess my point is, is, you know, for someone like you being in the baseball um, you know, at the top of the, uh, of the baseball chain with all the top pros. And by the way, a lot of those individuals that you looked up to probably at that time that could have been called a personal hero growing up. Sure. Um, it would have been very easy for you to say, you know what? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not throwing out names, but Roger Clemens doesn't believe. And so I'm no. not going to believe. So like, how did you get through that? Because I think as soon as you become a believer, that's when the real challenges start. <laughs> It's <laughs> a great point. Um, I think it's a really, really great thought. Um, I began to feel and sense in my heart how much value I had in his eyes. I don't know how to say that other than I would pray at, at night. Like I remember coming from spring training and I would open the scripture and I would read it out loud. And then I remember I talked to the Raiders chaplain from the Oakland Raiders at the time. And he gave me some of the best advice. He said, Rex, he says, don't try to go memorize all the rules and try to become like a rule follower because you're going to jack yourself up. There's a reason you were a mess before. Let God just work in you. But he said, do yourself a favor. Go and read the miracles of the Bible and read one every day out loud. And after everyone say, if you can do it, I can do it. He said, because when you start getting God's miracles in your mentality, when you get them inside of your heart and your mind, then all of a sudden you see life a whole different perspective where other people see obstacle, you see opportunity. When people see sickness, you see opportunities for health. When people see mental or emotional turmoil or addiction, you see opportunities for freedom. And I can say that's true. I started to do that. And I remember planting those investments of seeds. I'm going to invest 30 minutes of spending time. And when I did, I started feeling a new strength. My mind started changing. My perspective started changing. So I started having different fruits show up in my life. I was more patient, more gentle. I had people that might've pissed me off before. I had a longer fuse. I was more merciful because I realized I'd received mercy. Now I wanted to give it because I realized, man, if he hadn't been merciful to me, I'd be up a freaking tree, a tree you know, in a lot of trouble. So I think it gave me so much perspective. And as of that, there was so much appreciation. And I think that's the biggest thing, if you start to look at all the things that you have in your life, most people look at what's missing in their life, what's missing in their business. They become paralyzed by what they don't have. And when you start inventorying all the blessings you have in your life today, and you realize, oh my goodness, look at how good God's been to me. And I remember this going, I was in Africa and I was with uh, speaking there for about two weeks. And I think we had about 7.9 million people we did on a live radio show in the Congo and Burundi and different places. But I went into this hut made of absolute dung. It was awesome. Maybe you saw something like that when you were in Iraq. But I went in and there's this beautiful African lady in Tanzania. She said, I can't wait for you, Manzuga, which means white boy. I can't wait for you to come to my beautiful home. 
Now her home was surrounded by all this thicket and they had all these thicket built so that the lions couldn't get in there and the elephants couldn't get in there. That was her secure fence. That was her, uh, that was her private entryway. She took me into her home. It was made of, of dung, made of crap. And it was sitting there and she brought me and she goes, look at my beautiful kitchen. Now her kitchen was probably as big as my desk here in my office. And she goes, this is where I eat. And I'm so grateful that I get a meal or two meals sometimes a day. Isn't life rich? And I was like, oh my gosh. She looks right next to this kitchen is a bed that lays on the dirt. And she goes, there's bedding and whatnot. She goes, look at this is where I get to lay my head down. And I get to think of all my wonderful dreams, all the people that love me in my life, all the experiences and conversations I've had all the things I've been protected from. She goes, when I lay down, I don't lay down in a bed of, you know, distaste or discouragement. I great, I'm in a place that's so grateful. I'm like, oh my gosh. She goes, and then over here, she had a little type of a hanger thing and she had like three or four pairs of clothes. That's it. And she goes, look at, I look at my wardrobe and look at how enriched I am. I remember walking out of that dung house and going, Man, that was the richest person I've ever met in my life. Because a couple of weeks prior, Brandon, I had been in a self-made billionaire's home. It's a true story. He'd bring me in once a month with all of his friends, very well-known, well famous gentleman. And the first time I got there, I remember I got lost. The butler had to come find me. I got lost in a bathroom. It was a 46,000-square-foot home. And this gentleman had planes. He had boats. He had everything. Now, a couple of weeks later, I'm in the middle of Africa. And this gentleman, he was going through stuff. but he was so unsettled and unhappy and unfulfilled. And now this woman was so grateful and so happy and rejoicing. It gave me a perspective that, man, you know what? What's wrong is always available. But so is all the goodness of God available. And so I like to take clues from people. It's a cheat code. They say success leaves clues. I think Jim Rohn, the famous teacher, taught that. I think it's a cheat code. And David, one of the great kings of the, the world, said, Surely goodness and mercy chase me down every day of my life. If you look for it, you can find it. Wow. That's powerful. You know, and, and I think, I think it's Tony Robbins that says, you know, uh, when you trade your expectations for appreciation, things start to change for you. And, Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And that, that goes right in line with that. It's like, you got to appreciate where you are. I think that's part of winning, right? It's like, it's like being able to have gratitude and appreciation for it, for where you are, but just knowing where you're about to go. And, and um, how do you balance that though? Because you know some people, uh -huh. like like Tony also says that life's about growing and it's about giving, right? You got to continue to grow and expand sure. because you're either moving forward or you're going backwards by law, and uh, we're either creating or disintegrating, right? And so, okay, we want to keep growing in every area of our life, but how do we, you know, in a world of consumerism, in a world of social media, how do people, you know? how do they find themselves to be grateful for exactly where they are? If they don't have really anything that they want at this moment in their life, knowing of where they're yeah. trying to get to. No, I think that's great. So here's a way, and this could actually be, be a, a great, um, maybe a great uh, bridge from people where people are to where they want to go and actually can actually help people spiritually that maybe feel distant or there's disconnection or they don't, they're feeling it's a, a staticky connection uh, to their creator. And also this would be a great thing. There's a, there's a scripture in the, in the Bible in Psalms 67, I believe, 5 through 7. It says, as they gave thanks, 
then God released increase. And so I said, I'm going to use this and create a strategy list. I started thanking God for all these things. I'd write them down. And how many know you all, everyone's watching, how many know that you always get better than you give? If you were to create a piece of paper, right down the middle, and on one side, you wrote everything that you get in life. People love you. They encourage you, say nice things. You got likes on Instagram, whatever the heck it is, you know, that you could feel grateful for. You have two eyes that you can see. You can walk today when there's a lot of people who can't. You know what I mean? You have heart health today. You have lung health, whatever that may be. If you got, by the way, do you know that 1 million people died in the last six days? You could be happy that you're still here. If you have a, your own house, you're in the top, if you have your own house, not the one you want, but the one you live in, you're in the top 24% people in the whole entire freaking world. And if you have 12 American dollars to your name, you're in the top 15% of the richest people in the whole entire world. So you could, right? It's a matter of perspective in the the richest and wealthiest people are the people that are most thankful. So I thank God for who he is, uh, number one. I usually thank God, like, God, thank you that you're a provider. Thank you that you're a protector over my family. Thank you that you're a healer of our hearts, our minds, bodies. My wife, you know, my wife went through a situation where they took her heart out of her chest, signed her death certificate. They gave her no chance to live, and God healed her. I met with the doctors after. They said we did everything we could, but God made that heart thump, and they usually don't do that when they talk to medical science. But God did that. Well, he's a provider. He's been a way out for me when I've been struggled with things. He brought freedom. So I start telling him what who he is then, and thanking him for that. But I thank him for what he's done. I thank him for all the past blessings. I try to remember that. And then I start thanking him in anticipation. Most people pray out of anxiety, not out of anticipation. Anticipation's power for a loop. Anticipation's power in business. It's power as a CEO, it's power as a COO, as an operations operator. It's anticipation, not just where we currently are, but if not just the current trend, but anticipate what's to come. And I believe that's where real faith is, where you start anticipating and thanking God for what you're believing him to pull off. That will actually allow you to get into a place of faith and pull you out of anxiety that really drags down your faith, your confidence, your courage, your love. Because when you feel less, you risk less, love less, give less, you become less. You become less, you live less. How about that? Mm. But all of a sudden, when you start to see how wealthy you really are, you stop looking at all the relationships in your life as a place to get. You, then you look at them as a place to, I'm going to contribute here. I'm going to contribute creativity. You start thinking things. And even I think Jobs said this, Steve Jobs, that creativity is connecting dots. The more you start thanking God for what you're expecting him to do, you become very creative in your mind how to put things together from the past to where you want to go in the future. You're able to draw upon lessons. You're able to draw upon experiences that maybe weren't positive in the past, but the pain of the past becomes power in the present when you start being thankful that way. Because all of a sudden you see, here's how I can use it to help somebody else out. Because the masters of healing are usually the people that experience the most hurt in life. And maybe that's a really great little segue here too, Brand. if I could throw this in there. You want to know what you're called to do? You want a one element and you really want to find a clue to your calling in your life? If you want to discover that, find what draws the compassion out of you. If you discover what draws the compassion out of you, you can recognize what God's qualified you to bring hope, healing, and care to. It. What do you mean by that? I hate watching people suffer with sickness mindsets that work against them. So therefore, I just don't dislike it. I hate it. And usually what you hate, hate is energy. It's ability. If you don't hate something, you tolerate it. I hate, I got to a point where I hated nicotine. I was able to stop tolerating it in my life. I hated not feeling 
enjoying my life. There was a period in my life I was a success, but I did not enjoy any of it. And I remember saying, God, teach me how to enjoy my life. And I realized I could not even enjoy my life. And so I stopped tolerating certain things and behaviors and not appreciating things. And I thought, okay, here we go. So if you recognize what draws the compassion out of you, I hate watching people suffer in certain ways. As a result, I don't sit there and watch people in pain. It moves me to do something about it. It calls me to do something about it, to invest in it, help them, heal them, whatever I can do in my power to, to increase the quality of life for somebody unlocks calling. Now I got a mission. Now I got a calling. I ain't driven by money. I ain't driven by, I got purpose to my life. That brings hope to my present. But when you have hope, come on, you're so much more creative. You're so much more influential with people. Let me say this. You got, whoever has the most hope has the most influence. If you're in a business where you're around people, it doesn't matter your degree. You got the most hope. You got the most influence. I, I coach some pretty great businesses in the world. Top Golf, Callaway Golf, Travis Matthews. There's a bunch of different businesses of over 200 of them right now that we're active part of. I can tell you the person that has the most influence is the person with the most hope. Why? Because they see something better in the future. They don't tolerate certain things. Then all of a sudden it simplifies life too, man. All of a sudden you start to see this element of calling. And it gives you that kind of hope, simplifies life, what you do, what you don't do, what you say yes to and no to. You got a foundation to make some decisions. And I think for all of our viewers, man, if you can locate that element of calling, man, what I draws the compassion out of me and what you feel called to create and build. And I can start to be thankful for that right now in the present and anticipate that you bring everything around something. You start getting out of having compartmentalized in your life. Now you become more whole. You become more of my spirit, my soul, my mind, emotions, body, my body. Everything's working. It's working towards a goal. You were created to solve a certain problem. Shouldn't you discover what it is? That's amazing, man. So literally people, the Bible says without vision, people perish, right? So wow. when you have purpose, you get to wake up and that gives you the vision to continue to move forward, right? So that's, yeah. that's so powerful. Um, you know, Bob Proctor was one of my mentors before he passed away recently and Great guy. Um, yeah, I love Bob, man. He was awesome. So let me ask you this. He used to say, when you're when you're thinking of your goals and you're looking to achieve whatever it is you're looking to achieve, you need to get very clear and concise on what that is. And you have to start saying things like, I'm so happy and grateful now that I am, yeah. and then implement whatever that goal is. So essentially, kind of what you're saying is something very similar here. You're taking, you know, I guess um more of a of of a of a Christian based I guess psychology and it's, I don't, I don't know if he was, I don't know what his belief was exactly, but either way, he kind of put the, the law of attraction, yeah. you know, aspect of it in there. What, what's your belief on that? Um, well, Bob liked principles and I liked Bob. We had a chance to work with some of the same people and Bob, uh, I love that he had a heart to really help people and improve people. Bob actually gave his life to Christ a couple of days before he passed away wow. uh, through a gentleman that I know. Um, and so I'm going to see him one day in heaven. So I That's hope me. you guys will join us there, by the way. Uh, but let me say this very, very thing. What I loved about Bob was he took a concept out of the book of Proverbs. As a man thinks in his heart, James Allen was the first poet or writer that wrote about it, uh, following his out of the Bible. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, and so does he become. And it talks about the idea of you're not really limited by your ability. You're limited by your psychology. Your mind has a focus. When your mind has reasons why something has to work, something has to be achieved, something has to uh, develop, something has to love, 
all of a sudden those reasons become an emotional magnet. What you focus on, you notice a lot more, you pay attention to, and you move toward your dominant focus. I think that's the way God created it. Though even the word focus is the word hearth. It comes from the word, which means burning place, fireplace. You got the most passion where you are most focused, whether that's on the wrong thing or on a good thing, <laughs> depending on where you choose to point your lens. But in that same element, and Bob drew attention to it, was Proverbs 23 and 19. He says, to guide your mind in the way. Most people let their mind go crazy. They wonder, they wander, they have board meetings in their mind. They don't take direct control of their mind. If you're going to achieve anything of significance, you're gonna to have to be able to concentrate your energy and effort on what matters most. That means I need, need to be vague, but as you said, I need to become really clear, purposeful, instead of vision for my mind, who it is exactly I want to become. And maybe that's a really great place to start because if you just achieve and you don't become or you're hoping to become something by without intention, the reality is you're going to become what other people want you to become. That's a problem because then now you're not leading your life, you're leasing your life. So I think having a vision, here's what I'm going to become. How do I do that? I personally choose three character things I want to grow in each year. That doesn't mean I don't have them in my life now. That's my greatest vision. Not how much money I'm going to make, not how big the business is going to be. Because I feel like if I constantly grow in who I am, I will outgrow what I do. And if I can be trusted as the kind of person that grows to handle it, then I will use it well. I won't violate it. I won't mismanage it. I'll handle it with, with integrity and character, which means that's sustainability. It's one thing to get a bag, a pur you can get a purse, you can get a bag, you can get a trophy. It's another thing to keep the bag. It's another thing to keep the trophy. It's another thing to get the relationship. It's another thing to have the relationship and you're more passionate 13 years in and you can't, you know what I mean? You're still freaking into it. You know what I mean? That's, that's cool to me. So I look at that as three character traits uh, that I want to become. And I use them as a metric. I put them on my phone. So I'm able to measure each day. Was I more this? That might be healthy. It could be merciful. It could be more generous in your life. It could be more peaceful. And all of a sudden, when you begin to focus on, and Bob taught this, you start to notice that you start distinctions. Well, what would I, and you ask a more dominant question, helps you focus your mind. Like, okay, what would I need to be more peaceful? What would I need to focus on here? What would I need to focus on to be more merciful? If maybe I've not been merciful, and that's what I, something I really wanted to be, or compassionate, or healthy, whatever that may be, has different options. Then I go, okay, okay, who am I to become? But what am I going to build? Having a vision for what I'm going to build, you're going to build something. If you don't build something for yourself, you'll build something for somebody else, or you'll build, spend your time tearing down something from somebody else. What do you want to build? Maybe that's your health. Maybe what do you want to build in the areas that lets you become clear that you are a builder? You were created to build. And faith, if it doesn't have any work, is only an idea. Faith works when you work it. You got to work your land. If you don't work your land, you're going to have poverty. And it's not God's fault, it's yours. Greatness doesn't go on sale. Businesses don't go on sale. Come on, great contracts, great relationships. God gives you the ability and the opportunity. You got to show up with an attitude. You got to show up, I'm ready to work and develop it. Come on, but having an idea, what do I want to build? What do I want to create at this phase? If you're going to arrive a year from now, and you will, come on, you're going to arrive a year from now, the question's where? What will you have created in these next 12 months? And then finally, what am I going to give? Have a vision for what you want to give. It will actually stimulate you. You'll actually do more for other people. If you can link what having a vision to what you want to give. My wife and I do this every year. We want to give more away every single year. And not throw money away, but invest money. We sow it into 
The other day, I think we gave them, uh, we had the opportunity to help over 500 children have food in the middle of sub-Saharan Africa where their bones are sticking out. Or we've been able to pull kids out of the dump, buy a home with children with AIDS and get them. There's nothing more rewarding. That drives you in business to build something. That pulls you to become more. And what that does, and actually there's more joy in that than there is in just, okay, when I build this, I'm going to have this freaking cool posh life. That's great. That's cool to have all that. I know a lot of people have a lot to live on. They don't got nothing to live for. I've mm. been in their freaking homes. Yeah. I've been in good. their homes as you have. True. It's so true. <laughs> There's so much power in that. You know, it's, you know, like Jim Rohn said, uh, he said that, you know, you, you got to weed your garden or the garden will take over. Right. And you know, so you're good. sitting there talking about how some people have success, but they can't keep the success because, you know, you, you look on, it's so easy to create momentum in your life, but can people sustain it long-term? Yeah. And, um, and so let me ask you this because, you know, you made it to the top of baseball, you, you know, you lived every kid's dream, literally, you know, you're an extremely successful businessman right now. Um, you know, you have a happy marriage, happy family. You're, you know, Kira loves you, right? Like you can't say that with every yes, parent. You can't say that, you know, because maybe they have, they've struggled with their kids. You know, you have your spiritual life connected directly to God. You're very spiritually gifted. And, you know, and I was telling you before that, before the call, that I think there's a lot of people who they get out there and they push the narrative on people, but you live it. Like you don't have to, like, like, like you attract people, you natch people just want to be around you because you're living everything that you're preaching. And I think there's a lot of stage speakers out there who get on stage and they tell you what you want to hear. And, um, and they're really good at putting words together. It sounds really good and inspiring. But then when you see them out in town or you see them on social media, you know, off of social media, it's a completely different narrative because they can control it when they're in a controlled environment. And so I just, my point of it is, is saying, you know, when, when Will Smith, you know, hit, uh, uh, <laughs> what, what was his name? He hit that Chris comedian, Rock, Chris Rock, Denzel yeah. said at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil is going to come for you. So what is your advice for someone who's winning already an extremely high level? And, you know, like right now they don't know, but the devil is coming for them. It's a target. So like, what, what's your advice from? I think rather than fear evil and fear the negative challenges come to you. Um, when you start to embark on new opportunities, when you're growing and you're successful, I think don't lose what got you there. I think you go back to stabilize. It's a strategy we use a lot in different businesses that have allowed them to scale. Most people always want to get into the innovation or maximization of resources or maximization of products or services. I like to always go back to stabilize because when you stabilize, you go back to your foundation. What really matters? What really was sensing what's vital of real value and giving myself to that and going back to that. And I think if you're at the top of your game, help me know you there's more of a target on your head. So the reality is both the criticism, negativity, but also opportunity and a lot of crazy temptation to do stuff that might violate your morals, your principles and who you are. So I think there's a difference between the holy ground and the battleground. And I think the holy ground, that's not just sitting and meditating and doing that all day long. That's not what I'm talking about. Holy ground is investing in your family, growing in your own life and finding a way to give and contribute in a, such a way where it's very intentional, it keeps you grounded in your principles. And then the battleground of life, I think that you start to use a lot of wisdom. And just because everyone's pumping you up and blasting you out or attracted to your success, 
They're fondlers. They're not forwarders. They're people who fondle you, not forward you. And I got to be able to recognize who's a parasite and who's a partner. What do you mean by that? If you walk with wise people, you stack up wisdom and there's wealth in that. There's richness in that. But you hang out with fools, you suffer harm. Fools aren't necessarily horrible people. There's people that don't have vision for where you're going. They're always looking at just touching your influence. They fondle you. They want to touch your influence, but they don't want to forward and be a part of you. They just care what's in your hand. That's okay. It's like a parasite. They want what's in your hand. They don't want what's in your heart. Partners want what's in your heart. I like to partner and keep grounded by people who have integrity because the people that I'm around and you teach this so well is everything because it anchors you. It anchors your vision It anchors things you'll do. If you hang out with people with really loose morale or loose ethic, then you start living that way too. You hang out with people that have healthy habits, people that eat well, all of a sudden you start ordering different at a restaurant. You hang out with people that are in passionate marriages. They grab each other's butt. They're all over each other, even after 10 years. And man, like all of a sudden, you find yourself wanting to do the same thing. We're creatures of habit. So I think that proximity really helps with that in choosing people that make you better and in places to where it challenges you to grow. I've invested in people in my life that they don't always ask me, hey, how many people got loved you? They don't ask those questions. They ask me more questions like, hey, how did you treat your wife? How are you handling your money? How are you investing? How are you treating God's presence on somebody? How are you treating people that aren't doing you right? How are you handling that? They ask those questions and I allow it. And that takes a little humility because once you start to get arrogant, puffed up, like, oh, you're invincible. Coolio, your butt is in, you're a target. You're open. Because if you're proud, pride always goes before some type of a fall. I would rather go low and stay humble. Come on. I don't need, I'd rather go Stay on the low road and serve people and feeling, by the way, humble people don't feel less of themselves or think less of themselves. They just think of themselves a lot less. And so when it stays about other people, it's just, yeah, wait a second. When I go home, I want to have peace when I put my head on my pillow. That's not going to give me peace how much money I got in my bank account or how many people I know. Or if I was at Eddie Murphy's house yesterday, or if I was with Denzel, or if I was doing this with Oprah Winfrey, if you were with Grant Cardone or... That doesn't going to give you peace. That might give you popularity. I ain't going to give you freaking peace. To me, wealth is having peace. And I think when you have enough wealth and enough opportunity in your life, you start to weed out because you see so many freaking opportunists. And you look at, okay, I'll serve you, but I'm going to keep you at a distance. I learned that from Jesus. He talked to the multitudes in parables. He talked to the 12 a lot closer. He only talked to three a lot more detailed. And he told everything to his father. Imagine if you only have the right set of boundary lines, because when you only a fool tells his whole heart, you get in trouble when you start sharing everything with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, and I, man, that's so good. I'll tell you, um, I I've experienced it, you know, when I was in the military, like a young cat, you know, just got in the SEAL teams and I had a, an older individual teach me one time after going through the process and, and struggling, I guess you can say that character is more important than reputation. Cause we had a saying that reputation is everything in, in the teams, like your reputation is everything. Well, the challenge with that is, is when, when reputation is everything you do, what everybody wants you to do because you want to be liked. Wow. But when I realized that character was the most important part of that, like it changed everything for me because I did live my life as reputation is everything in the beginning. 
when I switched it to character, it was our character over reputation, you know, because then your reputation follows, right? Yeah. And I think that's something re- you live out really, really well that I've seen is you choose a good name. And most people don't. They choose reputation, popularity, and it's so freaking fleeting. And I, you know, I'm in a privileged place where I get to see a lot of people that people watch on TV, both in the sports world or the entertainment world. And they think that life's so, it's not. That popularity is a, it's a freaking drug that actually drowns people in so much misery. But I love that about you is you've chosen a good name and you keep choosing a good name. Every day I got to choose a good name. And I would rather have favor. Favor is attached to having a good name. Riches are attached to just choosing popularity. But riches are fleeting. Wealth is not. Riches are what you get. Wealth is who you are. And so you can't take wealth from someone who's wealthy. You can't take that from somebody who chooses a good name. It might be longer, but I would rather go longer. And as a mentor said to me years ago, He said, if you let God raise you up, then no man can take you down. If you let man raise you up, then you got to keep yourself there. Don't do it the Frank Sinatra way. I got to build. I got to show how great. Let the connections. Why? Because there's a gift in every human that's already created space and room for. God already recognized your life to be something known for, recognized for, and beautiful for. And if you do it that way, you'll actually enjoy who you are and enjoy how you can serve people with the gift. And you'll have a great time. You'll have fun. The pressure won't be like, I'm only as good as my performance. Because that's a freaking trap that buries great people. And I'll tell you what, you choose that. And I think that's a challenge for every person that would listen today is, I want to choose a good name. Maybe you lost your integrity last night, but today's a new day. Thank God you can overcome evil with good. You can choose again. And if you've lost and you've been on a losing streak because you've been maybe dabbling in things or diverting things, or maybe you've been hiding things and come out of that freaking closet a little bit and come back into the light and for, you know, accept forgiveness and make, make a new decision. You know, I, I think it was Tony Robbins who said the decisions of your life, not the conditions of your life, determine how your destiny plays out. If you lost your integrity, get back in integrity. If you're, you lost it in your family, come on, man, freaking up, woman up. Come on, find your freaking backbone. It ain't good enough just to have a funny bone or a wishbone in your mind, wishing for something to be different. Become the kind of person that somebody wants to have a relationship with at this phase in your life. Become the kind of person somebody wants to do business with and continue to do business with. Come on, make a decision that you're going to enjoy your life or decision how you're going to be a healthy person integrous, honorable person that you actually mean what you freaking say because your customers, your clients, if you're a business owner, they're asking number one, not can your product or your service benefit me. They're asking number one, can I trust you? Your kids are asking, can I trust you? If you lost integrity, get it back today. Reclaim that sucker. Get on a winning streak. Come on. You lost it with your spouse, freaking get it back. Come on. Get it back. Come on. you got other things back in your life. Follow your own successful habits. What'd you do? You made a decision that I ain't going to tolerate this anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about it. Challenge myself. You find that. your potential, that's for sure. Because as you know, Brandon, man, if, if I got chased by a little puppy, I ain't going to probably run too fast. But if I got chased by a pit bull, there's going to be a whole other side of Rex that comes out. When you get <laughs> challenged enough, it's amazing the potential that comes out of you. Yeah, yeah. Challenge yourself. Recapture your name. I bet you're fast too. You know what you're what you're telling me takes me back to kind of like the thought of 
you know, you were a baseball player, right? You have people go into a batting slump. And I think that some people, a lot of times there's, when you're driving in a car, you got a windshield, you got your rear view mirror. And most people are wrecking the car because they're, they're living their life out of the rear view mirror. Right. Yeah. They're constantly looking in the past. And, and when I grew up, I had a football coach. He was awesome, man. He's, 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 he still is awesome. Guys. Cool. He had a saying, play the next play. Nothing matters in the, in the background of like what happened previously. There's nothing you can do about that, that, miss tackle or that you know flag that just got thrown on you like play the next play like that's that's what we got to do in life and so i teach my team that all the time and, and that just that brings a lot your conversation brought a lot a lot of that back to me so thanks for that play what a great slogan and you said that because you're right the rear view mirror and for everybody it might not be a place of defeat but other people it's a place of success and i think that paralyzes people the most because they succeeded in the past and they think that that equals success in the future, so they don't play the next freaking play. They want to watch the highlight reel and build a monument around the highlight. How many people do you see in business? They think they're on ESPN playing the greatest, you know, the success stories of their life. Well, that was then. Now is now. And what their question is, what's the next play? Because there's a play to be run now. And success is progressive. It's giving birth to everything that's in you. And I think that's the friend of mine, Miles Monroe, he's in heaven today, but he was the ambassador of the Bahamas. We used to do a lot of speaking engagements for companies together. And he said, Rex, the richest place on the planet is just around the, the, around the corner from your house. I go, what do you mean? The richest place is, he goes, it's not the Sierra Leone diamond fields. It's not the oil fields of Iraq. No, it's in the graveyard. It says where great men and women never became great. Great ideas were never shared. Songs never sang. Businesses never went beyond the drawing board of somebody's mind. Because people did not give their ability responsibility. They didn't want to own it. And I like what you said. Play the next play. Work your land. And if you don't have a vision, plan a vision. A generous eye of generous vision comes from somebody planning it. And I love it. You make the vision, the vision makes you. Make a vision that's compelling enough to say, you know what, I'm going to get up, serve somebody. Let it be bigger than you too. Because that's where I want to play the next play if I got something big enough to pull me into the future. Man, so good. Yeah. Tell us, how did you become such a good speaker? Like <laughs> you had, it's a skill that's developed over time and you, you know, you, you're, you're so amazing at speaking. How, like walk me through that process to, from, from where you were maybe growing up to where you are today. Um, I didn't like to, well, I love people, but I, I wouldn't say I was into speaking at all by any means. But when I, um, when I really made a decision that I was going to give my life to helping people, I realized I needed to become skill. And I think this is good for every person, no matter where you are. Talent fails you if you don't get skill because you either got to modify the vision or you got to maximize the skill. Let me say that again. You either modify the vision or the dream that you have in your heart, or you have to maximize the skill. If you, if you, if you don't get skilled then you find yourself in a place of, I got talent, but you just talk about the potential of things that never goes anywhere for most people. So I realized I couldn't rest on my laurels and say, well, as a professional baseball player, I succeeded at that. I needed to work my land. I needed to cultivate it. I found a couple models that I felt, oh, this was really good. And I liked the way they communicated and connected. About communication is not communicating and how well you communicate. How well do I connect with you? And that's the goal of communication is connection. And to do that, you actually have to learn how to believe that that person's, you have to believe they're worth it. They're worthy of something great and you care about them. 
Because if you don't care about them, you're not going to deliver at a high level. I've had to be in the middle of prisons where people have done crazy acts. They've done horrible things to children. They've done horrible things. And I've had to sit there. And in my natural mind, I wanted to like probably punch some of them because I'm a dad. <laughs> Maybe do other things to them. But I had to realize that's still God's creation. And I have to find a way to pierce them. That means I can't just communicate at them and tell them what they did wrong. I got to pierce them. So what I used to actually do, I, I signed up when I left professional baseball. This is, I don't encourage other people to do it, but I did it. Um, I went and worked as a janitor in a church for $5 an hour. That's a big pay jump from professional baseball to being a janitor. But it gave me access to a stage in the middle of the night I had keys to. And there was 2,000 empty seats. And I would get in there and I would practice speaking to the carpet. I would speak to the chandeliers. It was an old church. They had pews. They didn't have like chairs. I would like try to motivate the chairs. I would try to like make the chandeliers laugh. Did you get it? Okay. I think you just had to, you had to prosper where you're planted and begin to work. I used to go in front of a mirror in practice. And I started looking at people don't look, remember things, anything beyond threes and fours. So you'll never hear me do any type of a speech without one, two or three points or four points because they don't remember. If you have eight steps to freedom, 12 steps to building your business, people don't remember. You might think it's the greatest freaking speech ever. You might be the greatest speaker ever. People don't remember. That's a problem. Because when you're out of mind, you're out of sight. And that's a problem. If you're a business owner or people have done business with you before, now they're out of sight, <laughs> rekindle that and go back. But if you're a speaker, man, I want to make things memorable. And so I always try to go back to three things. And so I would practice that in front of a mirror. And then I, no one would hire me to come speak right away. So I went and started working in a, the church that I was a janitor at. I said, can I go and talk to the kids? And they, I cussed a lot at that time. I did a little bit better now. Sometimes it still comes out. But I always think God takes shaky people and gives them sturdy projects. The project's bigger than the person. <laughs> but what it gave me was I would go in there with six years old and I would teach them. And they would tell me to teach them a thing about Jonah the whale. I teach them about free Willy and Flipper and or like Shamu, whatever it was. And I would just start where I could. If I could volunteer and speak, I wanted to be able to start where I was. I was talking to this a friend of mine. He's a Fortune 5 president. I spoke for him many times. He said I would do, I had a, he said I had a, a, a nutraceutical business and I would do presentations every single week and no one would show up for a whole year. But I still showed up every single week and delivered because I became good at what I practiced. And so then when you start practicing, you realize, oh, this is the way I connect. And so that's what I've done. And I've done that consistently and I work at my craft. Um, you know, they say an hour on a stage is worth about eight to 10 hours being of work. And I usually put about anywhere between 15 to 20 hours into every speech. It's not an exaggeration. Don't look for pity on it. It's a calling. So I want to invest in it. And I realize to be great, you have to work greatness. You know, if I put golf clubs in my hand, it doesn't have the same value as Tiger Woods' hands. Why? Because he's developed those golf clubs a lot more than I have. I play once a month. He's played since the age of four or three, whatever it was, two, whatever it was. But why? He spent so much time practicing that now he's rewarded in that sphere because that greatness was developed. And I think that can happen for anybody. And I dub the proverb, it says a skilled man will stand before kings and not obscure people. I know every one of us wants to stand in a place, not sit in a place and watch, but stand in a place where there's influence, opportunity. And to do that, especially in the speaking realm, care for people, want more for them, 
And if I could say this, because this maybe helps somebody on the other end, and I know we're closing on time, but let me say this. I did an event recently, and it was me and uh, a very well-known basketball player. I'll put it that way, Hall of Famer. He got paid, I think, $150,000 for his speech, and his speech was 30 to 45 minutes, and I think I got paid $20,000 for mine, or $15,000, whatever it was. Okay, cool, whatever. So I remember, and as soon as his was done, his guys whisked him away. Great speech, did a great job. So whisked him away, jumped on that jet. He was off on his G6, and he was heading somewhere else to go back to his big old life, whatever that looked like, okay? But I remember something that it stuck with me, and I saw it modeled in people that I cared about young, and so I always, I do it to this day. I stayed for two hours and 15 minutes, maybe even a little bit more, and I shook hands, I cared, I hugged, I prayed for people, and I was sick as a dog when I did it. I was sicker than all get out, but I stayed and cared about people. Let me tell you, who are they gonna remember? Are they going to remember the flash or when they get in trouble or want to do business? Are they going to remember the guy that cared? He had sparkle. He had pizzazz. I had substance. They want to do business with me. They want to do life with me. So it wasn't just in the delivery. It was the service of it that I'm not just going to deliver a speech. I'm going to deliver myself. I love that. And you do because I've, I've watched you speak, you know, and, and I think people, I learned this a long time ago that because I was, used to be so worried about what I what I was going to say on my speech, and I was I was used to be terrified to speak in front of people. Like you have no idea, it's crazy. But then I did it repetitively over and over and over, and then eventually it just became like another thing, right? And so, yeah, you're great at it. And so people people you know they care more about how you made them feel than what you actually said. They're going to remember that more, right? Hundred percent, and I do. I take a strategy into it. This might be helpful for people who present, whether it's in small businesses, home businesses, virtual businesses, or in boardrooms. And I, I do this in boardrooms and help work with different people because you have to, you know, money moves at the pace of speed, <laughs> and you got to make decisions fast so you got to have the best information available, and you don't have time. So I, I work with a lot of executives on this little model, something simple. Maybe it's a great, it's a delivery dynamic. I call it a delivery dynamic, and. It helps define, develop, and deliver real quickly. As I said, what do I want my audience to see? Because number one, 89% of all that's learned is visual. What do I want them to see? Because you turn an idea into a belief through what you can see. Number two, what do I want them to know? And this really helps with people that are more logistical buyers rather than emotional buyers. I know people buy emotion. They buy feeling. That's the majority. But if you answer their logical questions, it'll bring substance to your business where you're not built on hype. You actually can be very, very helpful. Get a statistic. Understand what your service, your product, or your mechanism does, your system does, how it will improve the life for somebody, how it's already helped somebody. Be able to be quick with that where you have a reference point to be able to give it, okay? Because the knowledge makes somebody strong, makes somebody confident, and you build that up. If it's just built on hype, they might get in on hype and they leave when the hype leaves, into your business, your system. They, they're in for a month. They're, they want to do business for a month. They buy your system for a month. They buy your technology for a month. They're out. But if you be able to supply knowledge for what they need to know, then all of a sudden, logistically, it kicks in that they have some foresight and some structure how to build. Number three, what do I want them to believe? Why? Because the only future people have and they invest in is the one they believe in. If people don't do business with you, it's because they don't believe that life's better with you, easier with you, or more joyful. And your job, if you're a business owner, if you're an entrepreneur, 
you're a creator, you're a facilitator, you're in sales, whatever, to make life easier, better, faster, more enjoyable, and healthier for people. That's your goal. That's a CEO mentality. That's the chokehold on your brain. Don't look for the company to do it, your service to do it, your product to do it, your system to do it. No, 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 no. It has to happen through you. You're the communicator. What do I want them to believe? This will give you really clear how to deliver to them. And finally, what do I want them to do right now? Number four, what do I want them to do now? Now, what will I call them to do now? If you don't call them to do anything now, then you'll never convert. You'll always be in the cycle of frustration and you can convert. Because if you take that strategy, you put enough of down whatever kind of business you have or opportunity thing you have. And there's all kinds of people that follow you, Brandon, that have all kinds of different businesses. But let me tell you something. You will be able to attach people to something secure and a structure. If you build the structure, then the substance can come in. I learned that from the Bible. I'll end with this idea. That in the beginning, God took dirt and he wanted to make a human. And he built the structure. He was lifeless, but he built the structure. He built arms. He built a head. He built eyes. Holes in our nose. Come on. He built teeth. <laughs> he built lips. Come on. He built, he built black hair. All of it. Come on. Black skin, white skin, orange skin, red skin, yellow skin. He built all the structure, but there was no life in it. Then he breathed oxygen into it and it became. Take a structure first. You build the structure and stabilize your structure and how you communicate to the world, how you want them to think, believe, because that is influence, guiding people's thinking about who they are how they interact with them, other people in themselves and how they act, interact with the world and how your whatever you serve makes life better for them and easier for them. And if you build that structure, now you can breathe passion into it. And people will think and they'll know it's out of conviction, not out of information. As a result, now you're valuable to people. That's a power to create wealth. You want to create your own economy? You better in this stage. Why? Because AI is coming for every single one of us. And that's about 35, 40% maybe of jobs in the next five, seven years. Don't think that's just an idea floating out in the middle of the sky. What an opportune time to be able to pivot, reposition yourself, own your own stage and your platform. You have one, even if you're shy or you think you're shy, I'll call BS on that. You ain't shy. You just haven't found the proper environment, how to communicate yourself yet. And the confidence to be, release yourself yet. Join Brandon. He'll teach you how to do it. But you have a platform. Take the mic in your hand and use the mic in your hand. You have a voice. Don't live voiceless, always wondering what could have, should have, would have been. Nothing would be worse than getting to life and thinking about what could have been. Man, there's nothing like you talk about. I talk to Olympians, and if I would have trained harder, if I would have worked a little bit more, if I would have ate at a better pace, instead of maybe holding a cup of cold water, I'd be holding a cup of victory. I'd be holding a trophy in my hand. This is where you win. So if you're going to win right now, what do I need to do? Let's run the next play. Let's choose a good name and let's own your stage. Man, I love it. I love it. Thanks so much, Rex. I mean, and you're so right. I've seen people literally who've told me, you know, hey, I'm so shy. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk in front of people. And then six months later, after we pour power <laughs> and speak power into him and belief, and all of a sudden now they're speaking in front of 500 people, just, you know, crazy, like shouting and having fun and on stage, like living, living their power. Right. So pretty awesome to see um you know and then we could talk we could talk about ai for like another two hours that is insane <laughs> what's about to happen yeah but rex i appreciate your time in thank you i know today's your day off thank your family thank katrina for me tell her i appreciate her so much and and kira so uh i can't wait to get spend some time with you guys here soon 
Yeah, thank you for the privilege. I really love what you're doing and how you're making a difference for other people. And man, go people, listen, go join what Brandon and his wife are doing. They're building leaders and they build, it takes a certain kind of person to build a leader. There's a lot of people that can build people if they're just at the, you know, struggling in life. But when you talk about building a leader, the kind of person that can get results out of themselves, you need people that have had that already done in their life. And I love that you guys have not just had a great cause. You also carried a cross. That means you let people cut in on you. You let people cut out and weed things. And so you care about people in the development process. So what a great opportunity and an incubation place for people to discover and manifest greatness through you. So this is cool. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. This is great. Thanks for being gracious. I'm a day off. My throat is on the, is on the, you, you the weed side. So sorry about that. You, you couldn't tell at all. Thanks for the kind words. It means a lot coming from you. It really does. And, um, you know, where can people find you? So like, yeah, you know, you got, you got your event, flip the switch, right? Your, your mentorship program, yeah. you got books, tell them how to find you. Yeah. Go to Rex Crane, uh, Gmail, uh, great gmail.com, rexcrane.com. Uh, you can go to all the different gmail coms and dot coms if you wanted to. Um, my assistant will get back to you if you actually wanted to. Um, but let me say this, you can try us on social media. And uh, the, the site is actually under construction because we have a brand new thing called Flip the Switch. And uh, we've already had a whole beta group of people. We did a whole event with uh, uh, so many great people from Grant Cardone's camp and Ed Milet's camp and some of those people. And it's a great program and it'll help people boost people. But I'm excited what we're going to do together. So I think there's going to be some opportunities that, that we can maybe put on the board uh, for middle of this year, later on this year, Brandon, or you, myself, my wife, your wife, and we can get together and make a difference for a lot of people and help people uh, build their life, build their economy, build their intimacy and build their freaking destiny. Let's do it. Hey, and Katrina has a book too, right? She does. Yeah. My wife's story is remarkable. Um, uh, you talk about every reason why someone shouldn't be alive, uh, shouldn't be happy, shouldn't be peaceful, shouldn't be in their right mind through every kind of trauma. And my wife has turned that flipped that switch and turned that pain to power. And She's remarkable because she has such a delicate, easy way to de deliver that to people. And she makes life better for people. She just, she expands them and enriches them. That's for sure. She's incredible. Yes. Yeah, so, so how do they find her? How do they find her book? Yeah, you can, uh, you can just find her on social media. She doesn't have a site out for her book, but you can find up her book. If you have Katrina Crane on Amazon or whatever, and it's called Warrior Heart. And uh, it's fantastic. We're actually going to do an event together in a couple of weeks, which is a, a woman's event. I'm doing a woman's event. I'm totally excited. Come on. I'm the one man. I freaking love it. I can't wait, but uh, she's, uh, she's the key to it. And then they, I got a little side piece in the whole thing. But, <laughs> so anyways, uh, but warrior hearts are fantastic. It's an easy digestible book and it lets people locate where they are, work through things that are in their way, especially trauma or mindsets or attitudes or situations relationally that, It'd be easy to sit there and just tolerate a weak life. And she's able to, I think, give the proper knowledge and the ability to not just the knowledge, but the strength to pull somebody out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, I highly recommend do anything you can to, to my, my opinion is mentors are everything. And, yeah. you know, you've got the Bible. That's the number one mentor out there that everybody should be diving into daily. But, you know, Rex, he brings a, a completely different flavor that speaks to me. And so if you guys got value, which I know you did out today's call, don't stop here. Like go to his website, order the books. Trust me, it's an investment into yourself. It's an investment into your future success. It's an, invest it's an investment into becoming the person you've always wanted to become. 
Um, get Katrina's book. You want to hear a story of overcoming. That is a person who overcome and yeah. continues to overcome um, all the time. So um, really excited to do, th do, to do a lot of um, different things with you guys, Rex. And uh, thank you for having or for being on the, the, the podcast yeah. today. And I'm really excited for the future. Yeah, let's make some moves. Come on, let's run the next play. Let's do all it. All right, brother. Thank you. All right, brother. I'll talk.